Well, if you are a guest today, I want to just uh, again say welcome to you. And uh, I am not the uh, usual worship leader. Um, uh, every six months or so, they throw me a bone so I can remember how fun it was and, and how much I love uh, just leading God's people in worship. And man, those are just great songs. They just really touch my heart and really challenge me, challenge my heart and challenge my mind. So uh, thank you, worship team. And, and these guys are also flexible. I don't know if you uh, realize, for those of you that come here every Sunday, but uh, as you uh, see people rotating in and out, that's all by design. Uh, our church, for a church of our size, is unbelievably blessed uh, with uh, uh, talented uh, musicians. And uh, we try to get them all worked in. we got some other people kind of on the bench getting ready to be worked in. And so uh, it's just really exciting to have... Uh, that kind of thing. I know I've been in some churches where it's like, you know, uh, 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 an off-tune lady and a guy with a, uh, you know, kind of a monkey with the symbols thing, and, and it's not very good. <laughs> it's hard to, it's really kind of hard to worship God with that. So uh, we are really blessed here, and uh, musicians, thank you for the way that you lead us every week, and, and you're so flexible just to go in and out of the, whatever team is there, and I'm just, it's just great. So uh, thank you. You know, I was thinking uh, with the 4th of July, and apparently all of you got through it okay, and got through it uh, healthy and and are, are fine, and, and I'm glad to see that. Uh, I was watching some outtakes on, uh, on, online last night of people who you know, did stupid things with fireworks and got blown up, but uh, I'm glad you all didn't, aren't, weren't one of those. But I was thinking of a uh, story I heard about a man who was uh, living in the hills of Arkansas. Now, I don't know if you guys uh, have ever been to the real hills of Arkansas, but they're still a little behind you know, the times. And uh, a little boy was playing out in their yard and everything, and, and as he was playing and kind of roughhousing and doing some things, uh, he knocked over the outhouse. And uh, later that day, his father came to him and he said, Son, did you knock over the outhouse? He said, No, Daddy, I didn't do that. And the father was thinking, it was about the 4th of July, he was thinking of patriotic things. He said, Let me tell you a story. It's a man named George Washington. And he got an axe, and he chopped down his mother's favorite cherry tree. And when his father came to him and said, George, did you chop down that cherry tree? George looked him in the eye and he said, I cannot tell a lie, Father. I chopped down the cherry tree. And his father said, well, George, for telling the truth, I'm not going to punish you. So, son, did you knock over the outhouse? He looked at him and he said, yes, Father. I knocked over the outhouse. I cannot tell a lie. His father uh, proceeded to beat his little bottom red, white, and blue. And... uh, the son got through crying, and he said, Daddy, I told the truth. Why did you spank me? He said, Well, son, George's father was not up in the cherry tree. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking about that. I, I want to uh, say a big thank you to some folks that helped us this weekend. Uh, as you may know, Wednesday night, Thursday night, uh, Friday night, and all day Saturday yesterday, we had uh, people at um, uh, Parkville at the 4th of July celebration manning the booth there. And so I want to thank Jennifer McLaughlin, Michaela Stemmons, uh, Angela Sylvie, Taylor Mansker, Kim Sled, uh, Brian and Deb McDowell, Rob and Ilea Christian, Mike and Brenda Ellis, Kendall and Tracy Hale, James Fottenberry, and my wife Julie for helping to man that booth. I uh, appreciate you guys so much doing that. Uh, just so you guys know, um, and these are not preacher numbers, these are real numbers, okay? Uh, uh, we got the opportunity to lead uh, three young men to Christ. We got the opportunity to pray with three other young men uh, to just uh, uh, kind of settle their salvation. They'd received Christ before but had some doubts and questions, and, and we got a chance to pray with them. Actually, James prayed with them and led the three young men to Christ. And um, uh, then uh, we had probably, I would 
say we didn't really keep track, probably 12 to 15 families uh, that went by our booth and said, hey, we've moved to the area, we're looking for a church, we'd love to find a good Bible-believing church, we're going to visit you guys the next couple of weeks or so. So you pray that they will do that, and uh, if that's the case, um, it's just, you know, I mean, even if nothing else happens besides what has already happened, it was well worth it, right? Uh, three young men get saved, that's, uh, I'll, I'll pay $75 for that any day of the week. So um, uh, it was just really a, a good, good use of our time and a way to get connected to the community. And so um, you pray that those folks will follow up uh, with what they did. But I've got to be honest with you, as I was out at the booth, uh, especially yesterday, it wasn't so much Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights, but, but yesterday being 4th of July and people celebrating, um, there were some people that came by our booth that frankly made me a little uh, uncomfortable, to be honest, and others uncomfortable. Uh, there were at least uh, two ladies that came by that were... Um, obviously, obviously incredibly high on some kind of drugs. I, I would guess, uh, just looking at them, knowing some symptoms, I would guess meth or cocaine. Uh, they, were, they were pretty messed up. Uh, there were a couple of others, uh, several others that came by that were very intoxicated. In fact, I almost gave uh, James a breathalyzer after talking to one guy for so long. I thought maybe he needed to get, you know, sober up before he talked to somebody else. Uh, those kind of folks, you know, kind of make me uncomfortable sometimes. There were people there of all races, all colors, uh, from really all geographical areas around the city. Uh, you know, the people that make me the most uncomfortable are people from other places uh, that I can't understand their English very well. I just get very uncomfortable because I, I value communication uh, uh, greatly, and so when I can't understand them, I'm very uncomfortable around them. And so people who came from other parts, even of our country or from other countries and were trying to speak to me, I, I was very uncomfortable with all that. Now I share all that with you uh, as an introduction to talk about what we're going to look at today. Because I think we're going to see some really valuable lessons that are probably not just for me. I'll bet they're for all of us today. As we look at Acts chapter 10. Now if you remember last week, we, we finished chapter 9 with a couple of observations that up until now, Christianity, Christianity had basically been a Jewish thing. Uh, uh, it, it was really considered uh, by everyone a little sect of the Jewish community. It would be like us considering the Nazarenes as a little piece of Christianity. Uh, Christianity at that time was not uh, anything that would attract anybody but Jews. Uh, up until this point, all of the names of people we see in the book of Acts are Jewish. All the cities that they have been to are primarily Jewish. Uh, this has been a Jewish thing. And, and there's no reason to believe up until this point that it wouldn't remain a Jewish thing. But in Acts chapter 10, Christianity takes a, a, a huge twist, a huge turn. And I want us to see that today and not only see how it affected uh, Peter, but how it affects us too. And so I want us to go through the passage uh, I, I know there's a lot of verses. I want to go ahead and read them all today. Uh, we, we debate about this at times. Do we just, you know, take 15 verses and let me just tell you in three sentences what it says. But I just, I think there's power in reading God's word. And so if you get tired of hearing God's word, this probably isn't the church for you. I don't know what, to, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, we, just, we just read a lot around here. Uh, so let's begin. I want you to see the first thing that happens here as Christianity now comes to the Gentiles. The first thing that happens in chapter 10 is Cornelius, a man named Cornelius, has a vision and he responds to it. Let's look at what, see what it says in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. It says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, 
a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now let's take a look at this man Cornelius for a minute. It says Cornelius was a centurion, which means that he was in charge of a hundred men. Uh, he was, he was in, influential in the Roman army. He was a soldier, and to be a centurion, uh, you either had to be born into it, basically given uh, some kind of a right by your father, which wasn't very common, or you had to be promoted at least three times. So he has probably been through the ranks. He's a, he's a, a career army guy, and he is a centurion. He's now in charge of 100 men. said he was part of the Italian cohort. That means he was a native Italian. Uh, now, the Roman army has, has uh, uh, you know, really spread out uh, through the region, and there have been people joined the Roman army from many different nations. But he was a native of Italy, and so he was uh, a part of kind of the homeboys, the home guys. He was considered uh, kind of on the inside crowd of the Roman army. It says he feared God with all his household. Uh, he didn't just fear God himself. But he had taught his children, his wife and his children, to fear God too. He, he was a good father. He mentored his children. He, 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 in a sense, discipled his children to follow in his ways, and they were following him. He didn't just try to do a good job. He had accomplished uh, his purpose there. It says he prayed continually to God. Now listen, this is not the idols of the ungodly, but he prayed to the real God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish God. He was praying to the true God. Although he had not converted to Judaism, he was praying to the one true God because he believed he was God. He said he was praying in the ninth hour of the day, and this angel comes into him, and, and the angel just says one word, Cornelius. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but if a guy appears to me, and he's in, you know, uh, bright, you know, bold, bright clothing, and it's not the 80s anymore, and, and he says my name, it's going to freak me out a little bit. I don't know him, but he knows me. Uh, that that kind of makes me uncomfortable. So he says Cornelius' name. Now Cornelius responds with this. He says, what is it, Lord? Now, that doesn't only uh, communicate that he's inquiring but there's, in that phrase, there's, there's a little bit that, that leads to believe that he wants to be obedient. In other words, what is it, Lord? Tell me what you want me to do so I can do it. He's not just inquiring because he's a curious guy. He's like, okay, you've said my name. I know you're an angel. What do you want me to do? Because I, I probably need to do it. He's ready to respond. We've talked about that in the book of Acts. We've seen many, many times that God uses people who are ready to immediately respond as he commands them, right? And Cornelius is no different. Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who is not a Jew, who is far from God, the farthest from God that a person can be, 
like us, he all of a sudden uh, is taken back by this, this angel. And he decides to do whatever it is that he says. So look what happens next. Peter has a vision. And he has a vision of the sheet. Now it's not sheep. Don't misunderstand. It's not the vision of sheep. It's the vision of a sheet. Look at this vision. It's very interesting. It's in Acts chapter 10, and it's verses 9 through 16. Here's what it says. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, I don't know how, you, uh, how your life is, but I usually have uh, weird dreams when I eat a lot before I go to bed, not when I'm hungry and I go into a trance or I fall asleep. Uh, so Peter here, he's hungry, he goes into this trance, and he dreams about food, right? So the sheet comes down with all of these animals that the Jews have considered uh, uh, dirty, filthy animals. Uh, God has separated the animals early on, Uh, In the Old Testament, there are clean animals and unclean animals, and it's filled with unclean animals. And he hears this voice, the voice of God saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat these things. Peter's like, No, 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 I can't do that. I've never eaten this junk before. I'm not eating these animals. But you see, this isn't really about animals. In fact, it's really not about food at all. In fact, way before this, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus talks to the disciples, and he declares all food clean. Because in chapter 7 of Mark, if you want to go back and read it now, I would encourage you in your, in your community groups to read that uh, passage this week. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, Guys, it is not about what you put into your mouth and come out and goes into your stomach that defiles a man, that makes a man dirty. It's what comes out of his heart. It's what comes out of his behavior. It's what comes out of his mind. It's not what goes in that defiles a man. It's what comes out. Jesus said at that point, all food is clean for you. It doesn't matter what you eat. So Peter had probably remembered this. He knew it wasn't about food, but he didn't really understand it. In fact, we're going to see in the next verse he doesn't understand it. But here we see after this, after he has this vision, Peter's going to go to Cornelius. Let's continue to read in verse 17. We're going to see that Peter doesn't understand yet, yet, what it is that this that this uh, vision has been about but he's going to understand it soon enough look what it says in 17 through 24 it says now Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean behold the men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry for Simon's house stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon who was called Peter was lodging there and while Peter was pondering the vision the spirit said to him behold Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now there's a lot in this passage that we don't have time to talk about, but I want to point out a few things that are really important. Peter begins to understand the meaning of this vision. In fact, he begins to let down his own prejudices. Just by inviting these servants in and and the loyal uh, uh, soldier to Cornelius, inviting them in to stay with him, these are Gentiles. They don't invite Jews in. They don't sit and eat with them. The Jews don't invite Gentiles to be with them like that at all. They're supposed to be separate from them. Uh, Peter didn't have a particularly high regard even for, for uh, influential Romans. After all, they were Gentiles too. They were not God's chosen people like we were, Peter's thinking to himself. But it's interesting how this vision comes to him. And as he's thinking about this vision, as he's saying to himself, God, what does this mean? What, is this, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to help me understand? What is it you... What is it you want from me? What is it you want me to understand? There's a knock at the door. And he goes down and he sees these guys that he doesn't particularly care for, that he doesn't have much in common with, that he considers kind of dirty, filthy animals. Oh, bing, 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 bing. It's starting to make sense. It's starting to make sense to him. And he lets them come in. After they tell him, hey, this guy Cornelius saw an angel, and he sent us to get you. So we see that uh, Peter goes to Cornelius, and, and he begins to face his prejudice in a big way. He thought he was, I mean, he just, he, he wasn't thinking this is how it was going to be. But look what happens in verses 25 through 29. I mean, it really throws these guys off. <laughs> when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. See, Peter begins to face his prejudice. He thought he was coming to see a man, Cornelius, but he came to an audience. Cornelius was expecting him. And he had already sent for all of his friends and and all of his neighbors, all of his family. They were all there waiting for Peter to, to come to the door. And in this passage... Even though Peter professes his prejudice, he says, you guys know that it's unlawful for me to hang out with you. You know that it's unlawful for me to come into your home. He says, but, but God's told me to do something different. He acts in obedience to God. But he's still very puzzled at what they want from him. He doesn't understand it. He's, he says, what do you want from me? I, I don't know why I'm here. What's going on? 
But I want you to understand, guys, he's, he's beginning to let down uh, pieces of the law from the Old Testament that, that were uh, sent to the Jews to keep them holy and, and a, a separate people from pagan nations. But now it's a new day. Things are... Ch- Remember Jesus saying there's going to be a new covenant? This is how that's unfolding. This is how... The, it wasn't like Jesus said, okay, new covenant, here's a, here's a book of 278 pages, read this, it's all going to work out for you. He's, he's revealing in a little bit of time. It's, 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 it's coming out. Okay? And so... Uh, Peter here begins to face the prejudice in his own religion, in his own self. Next, we see that Cornelius shares his vision with Peter. Peter's going, okay, what am I here for? What am I here to do? Cornelius tells him. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter says, I sent for you because of my vision. I don't know what you're here for. You're saying you came because of your vision. You don't know why you're here. I'm telling you, I don't know why I called you, except I'm just being obedient. Here's two guys being obedient to God, even when they don't understand what's going on. Folks, that's a lesson for us. There's a lesson. Cornelius didn't ask any questions. He didn't have a specific agenda. He really didn't even know for sure why he even sent for Peter, except the angel told him to do it, so he did it. So now they're both standing there kind of looking at each other. I mean, I would have, I would have almost liked, this could be a, you know, if there was a Saturday Night Live for our Christians, this would be a great sketch, you know. He's like, I don't know why I'm here. 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 A little bit of that, okay? But, but Peter remembers what God had told him to do uh, before Jesus left the earth. And so we see here that Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and his household against his personal prejudice against everything he had been taught was right to do. Look what it says in verses 34 through 43. This is a long passage, but stay with me. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
I like that Peter did really all he knew what to do, which was preach the gospel. He started out by saying, I figured out the vision. God shows no partiality. There are no humans who are far from God anymore, or who are farther from God. Do you remember when we studied the book of John? There was, there was some phrasing in there that said uh, the Jews were those who were close to God. And the Gentiles were those far away. And I even pointed all the way over there to the, to the window. I said, those are people who are far away from God. And the Jews are right here next to God. And what Peter's saying is, you know what? That, that no longer exists. We're all kind of the equal distance away from God. And, and God doesn't show partiality to anybody. And then he goes to preach the gospel. He preached about Jesus being crucified, being resurrected, and being alive, being seen by witnesses. He says he's the Savior of the world, the Messiah the Jews were looking for. He says, hey, he, he, he fulfilled all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And then he said, and for the first time it was preached, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. He's saying salvation is no longer just for the Jews. It's for everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, who died on the cross, to pay for their sins. He shares the gospel, and he makes it available, speaks it as being available to the Gentiles. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to us. This is radical. Peter has just been led by God to change everything. This is really incredible. The last point I want you to see here, which is a really important one, is that the Gentiles are born again, and they join the family of God. Look what happens in the last uh, five verses here, 44 through 48. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter's preaching. He's preaching the gospel to these people. And while he is, he hasn't even gotten to the invitation yet. Okay? He he hasn't even asked the organist to play one more verse while we wait for those to come forth. He's not even done any of that kind of stuff yet. Okay? He's still preaching, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on these folks. They're listening, they're believing. And by the way, we believe in individual salvation, but there is something about a father who leads his children to know and love God that they will continue to follow him. They have to make that decision for themselves, folks. But, but kids will follow a dad who loves them. So when dad gets saved and they see God working in his life, they'll mostly follow that. So all of the people who are listening, all of his friends, all of the, all of the people that were there, all of them immediately, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They begin to speak in other languages. They begin to praise God. Peter's looking at these folks and he goes, What? These are Gentiles. Now they're, they're speaking in tongues, so I know they have the Holy Spirit in them. That's how we figured out we had the Holy Spirit in us. And by the way, if you remember Acts 1-8, remember what Jesus said? 
You'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world or the end of the earth, depending on your translation. What we saw was the Holy Spirit came and fell on the folks in Jerusalem. And then you remember that Samaritan woman? The Samaritan, or the Samaritans, I guess, that, that, that received the Holy Spirit? And now we see the Gentiles who represent the rest of the world. And honestly, they probably thought until this very day, Jesus was talking about the Jews that lived the farthest from Jerusalem. But now, all of a sudden, it's the Gentiles. It's everybody. And so God is fulfilling Acts 1.8, even completing it right here. The Gentiles are born again. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then what Peter says is, Hey, by the way, we don't know in this passage, we'll find out in chapter 11, there's actually six men came with him from Joppa. But Peter says to his Jewish friends, hey, these people have obviously received the Holy Spirit. They're obviously born again. They're obviously part of the kingdom of God. Any of you guys uh, vote no against baptizing them? In other words, any of you guys uh, 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 not want to let them participate in the symbol of what has obviously taken place in their lives? Anybody opposed? I mean, probably had a little business meeting right there. You know, anybody opposed? Say nay. No nays. In fact, what's really interesting, if you look carefully, Peter didn't baptize any of these folks. In every movie I've seen that shows this, Peter baptizes them all. He doesn't baptize anybody. He commands that these guys who came with him baptize them. Because, see, this isn't about Peter. This is about the kingdom. And he wants these folks to participate with him. This is about the kingdom. And so these folks receive Christ, they become Christians, and now all of a sudden Christianity is no longer, no longer just a sect of the Jews. It's, a, it's, it's kind of its own religion. It's its own thing set apart from the Jews because it doesn't only include Jews, it includes Gentiles also. The people who are closest to God and farthest from God can now be part of the kingdom of God. This is huge, and you're going to have a great opportunity to talk about some of these things. By the way, there's a lot more in this passage that we just don't have time today to talk about. But I want to talk about some application takeaways for us. First of all, folks, let's just admit that we are all prone to prejudices. Let's just admit that. Okay, I know we don't live in a world where we want to admit that very much. Can we just admit that, please? You know, I started out, uh, you know, this morning sharing with you that I was a little uncomfortable with certain people that were in our booth or that came to talk to us, even about Jesus. Folks, I, I, I don't love everybody perfectly yet. I'm going to keep trying, I'm gonna keep growing. And I'll bet you don't either. In fact, I was thinking about uh, really shocking you uh, letting you face some of your prejudices. I was going to pick up a cigar and put it in my mouth right now, but that would probably make me sick. So I didn't do that. But I thought to myself, I wonder how many of you would fall out of your chairs or if we'd have to call the paramedics because somebody had had a heart attack over me doing that. But here's a fact. Many godly men of past generations smoked. Did you know that? They didn't have the modern knowledge we have about the health risks of smoking. In fact, godly pastors like Charles Spurgeon and G. Campbell Morgan both smoked cigars. Jonathan Edwards smoked a pipe. Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis smoked cigarettes his entire life. Oh, but you didn't know that. You know, Amer and many American Christians today would question the spirituality of a man who smoked. 
if, if maybe not even his, his, his salvation. You know, doesn't he know that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? But I want us to be careful, folks, because many of us who are judgmental American temples are noticeably overfed and underexercised. And I put myself in that group. You know, many American Christians also would say that a, a Christian who drinks alcohol couldn't possibly be spiritually mature, right? Uh, even if they never disobey the Scripture by getting drunk, how could they possibly be mature if they drink? But a German Christian who lives here in America would say something like this to us, you Americans say that we shouldn't drink beer, and yet you go to bowling alleys. Because for him to go to a bowling alley is like the epitome of worldliness. But drinking beer is something all Germans do. I mean, it's just normal for them. Now listen, I don't want to, I don't want you to, I'm not endorsing drinking alcohol or smoking, okay? In fact, I would advise against both practices. But what I am pointing out is how quick we are to judge those who do things we don't approve of. And yet we don't judge ourselves very much for the things that we do that may be harmful to us. Sometimes, like Peter, we can be almost more judgmental than God himself. I can point out other ways that we're prone to be prejudiced. We, we tend to group people by race or occupation or uh, different ways that we pigeonhole individuals and we judge them because they belong to this group or that group. You know, Peter could have easily thought to himself, you know, centurions are Roman soldiers and they're wicked, sensual, worldly pagans. I'm not going to go to this guy. He would, have, he would have misjudged Cornelius horribly. And Cornelius could have thought to himself, I'm supposed to learn something from some uh, Jewish guy who was a, a, a fisherman? Well, he probably has never even been outside of Palestine. What could he teach me? I'm a, I'm a world traveler. What could he teach me? And he would have missed God's blessing. In fact, Peter could have used the Bible, the Old Testament, to justify his prejudice. He could have ignored what God told him. You know, sometimes we read the lens of Scripture through our own uh, experiences, our own prejudices. But here's my point. And I want you to understand it clearly. I am not saying that we should tolerate or accept sinful behavior or practices that the Bible calls sin. Okay? Not saying that. But what I am saying is that we should uh, we should face our own prejudices and allow God to kind of root them out of our hearts. We won't be effective in reaching across cultural bounds and personal barriers with the gospel if we don't do that. You know, if you're prejudiced against black people or Native Americans, how are you going to reach them with the gospel? You're not. You're not. If you steer clear of, of young people with tattoos or body piercings because they freak you out and they scare you a little bit, how are you going to bring the gospel to them? You're not. You're not. So folks, I think it's first of all good for us to admit that we have a problem and that all of us at times are a little prejudiced in the way that we approach other people. Two, I think we should allow God to break us of our prejudices through obedience to his word. How did Peter grow past what he had been taught? Even the right, you know, Peter had been taught the right thing. How did he grow past that? Obedience to God. How did Cornelius 
ask this goofy, uneducated fisherman to come and teach him something and call all of his friends and neighbors together because he thought it was that important. He obeyed God. Folks, obeying God is the key to breaking these prejudices in our lives. When God tells us to love everyone, what he means by that is to love everyone. It doesn't matter where they come from or what color their skin is or whether or not they have tattoos or long hair or whatever. Lastly, we need to realize that we're more useful to God's kingdom with our prejudices destroyed. In the 1960s, uh, as most of you know, there was a generation gap. Uh, Young people were uh, all kind of considered hippies or whatever, and their parents were crazy, you know, thinking that the world is going to hell in a handbasket because our kids have gone nuts. By the way, there was a time when uh, somebody couldn't stand on the stage of a church with shorts on without people freaking out and running out, you know, with their arms up in the air screaming. Uh, Couldn't have a bass player stand over here with shorts on and, and play the bass. Now, I don't wear shorts just out of pure respect for you guys, not have to look at my legs. But the point I'm making, folks, is we all go through these things. I remember my parents losing their minds. I mean, literally us fighting almost to the death because I wanted to wear jeans to church on Wednesday night. And they thought it was just like the end of the world. And my mother is still uncomfortable when she comes here, and, and I'm preaching in jeans. She just, it just makes her skin crawl a little bit. Things like that change. And guys, we've got to quit focusing on all this outside stuff. In the 1960s, uh, there was a, uh, uh, in, uh, let's see, where was he at? Uh, Dr. Amerding, here it is, was scheduled to speak in, the, in a chapel service. And he was at uh, Wheaton College. And a uh, very godly man, uh, just a really great man. Everybody really looked up to him. And they had this little prayer service before he was going to get up and speak at chapel. And this, this kid came up and he was kind of dressed, you know, as a hippie and had long hair and a beard and all this kind of stuff. And Dr. Amerding was just put off by him. But I thought, why in the world are you here to pray for me before I speak? I, I, you know, you're just kind of worthless. And then this is what the young man prayed. When it came around to his turn, he said, Dear Lord, you know how much I admire Dr. Emmerding, how I appreciate his walk with you. I am grateful for what a man of God he is and how he loves you and loves your people. Lord, bless him today. Give him liberty in the Holy Spirit to ma- and make him a real blessing to all of us in the student body. Help us to have open hearts to hear what he has to say. And may we do what you want us to do. And when they finished praying, Dr. Amerding began to walk up the long aisle to the front of the chapel. And God convicted him of the way that he viewed this young man. And he got up and he preached a great sermon in the chapel service. And at the end of the service, he asked this young man to come up and join him on the stage. Now the student body was not aware of this prayer. And they thought, oh, baby, it's going to go down right here in front of us. He's going to drop the hammer on this guy. He comes up, and and, uh, Dr. Emmerding hugs the young man. And he tells him how much he appreciates him and loves him. And he went on to find out that the young man dressed that way because uh, almost none of his friends were Christians. And he was trying to reach out to them. Folks, we don't ever want to cross the line of sinning. But here's the point. As I stood there yesterday and watched probably thousands of people pass our booth, 
there, I realize that our, our culture is very different. When we look at our church, and I get a chance to look at you all the time, our church is mostly, mostly, middle, middle, upper class, white, educated people. Nothing wrong with you guys. Nothing wrong with us guys. And our culture where we live is mostly that. But our culture is changing drastically. When I stood there and watched all of the people walking by our booth, Platte County is changing drastically. And folks, we've got to make sure that we don't, we don't create barriers where they shouldn't exist. If I let myself continue to be uncomfortable with people who don't speak English well, with people who are on drugs or drunk with alcohol or other things that are my hang-ups, we're going to miss out on leading a lot of people to Jesus. And I don't want to do that. And I don't want you to do that. I realized yesterday that there are still 220,000 lost people in Clay and Platte counties. And if they stay lost because of my prejudices, shame on me. Shame on me. God help me. Folks, I want us to have a heart for this community and a heart for these people and a heart for this city that goes beyond skin color and, and, and financial status and neighborhood and age and, and where you were born and your nationality, all, all that stuff. I want, I want us to get past all that. And I want us to really love people the way Jesus said. This is a great thing that we see happening in this passage. The Gentiles now have access to the gospel. They now have access to Jesus as their Savior. But that means that all of those 220,000 people in Clay and Platte counties have access. The reason they aren't believers yet is because God hasn't called their heart and nobody's told them. Now here's what I think. I think when people stay lost, it could probably be because they reject Christ. I get that. I don't think all 220,000 is. And you know what? I don't ever want to be in a place where I say, well, we're doing our job. It's God who's not doing his. We're, we're telling everybody, the problem is God's not drawing them. I don't ever want to say that. That's crazy talk. Problem's not with God. Problem's with us. I want to challenge us. Get over our hang-ups and be around people who are lost. Not worry about all those other things. Worry about whether or not they know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great, uh, uh, true story that took place. Thank you for opening up the gospel to us, Gentiles. Father, thank you that Jesus really did come for everybody. And that all of us can find eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins through what Jesus did on the cross. Father, if there's anyone here today that hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that they would talk to somebody before they leave today about that very thing so that we can help them, so that we can pray with them, so that we can encourage them to follow you. And Father, for the rest of us who are already in relationship with you, Father, I pray that you will do a work in our hearts Help us get over ourselves. Get past all of the hang-ups, all of the judgments, all of the judgmental attitudes that would drive people away from the gospel. 
Lord, I, I, I pray that you'd help us to stay strong against sin. But all of these man-made kind of cultural things that, that have somehow snuck into our lives and crept into our minds and our hearts, God, just destroy those in us. Help us grow past, help, help Jesus become so much in us and coming out of us that it just overwhelms all that stuff that we have done to create barriers for people. God, forgive me for where I've been lazy, where I've been judgmental, where I've failed to present the gospel to people who need to hear it. Lord, use our church in a great way to win this community, to impact this city, to impact this world for your kingdom. Use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.